Hier in Zetsel word aan jou gebring die Radio Kaapse Kansel op 729 AM. Bezoek ons gerust by www.kaapsekansel.co.za Into me see A place where we learn about deep connection with yourself, those close to you and with God. Our program Into me see uncovers intimacy as an act of seeing into me and the crucial role it plays in healthy relationships. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. In this program, we'll explore what intimacy means and how to work towards it. And by the way, sex is only a part of intimacy. Yes, so often we think that that is intimacy, but there's so much more about that. Yeah, and that is what we have been learning in our challenges over the last 38 years of marriage. I am Frederick Wools. And I'm Suki Wools. Both of us are licensed counsellors and we're looking forward to embark with you on a journey towards greater intimacy. We'll continue to explore what intimacy means and look at the crucial role that it plays for the development of healthy, authentic and lasting relationships. Yes, especially in these times where there are multiple distractions, such as on our phones, uh, social media, that all rob us of intimate relationships with God, uh, other human beings, and with ourselves. Last week we were speaking with Jonathan Doherty from Be Broken Ministries in Texas about how people as believers of Christ can fall into addictions as well as some things we can do to journey away from these unwanted beliefs, thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. We also spoke about the fact that good counseling from someone who's a believer and specializes in addiction is very important for the journey towards healing and wholeness. I think we just touched that. We will talk more about that today. We started looking at the concepts of recovery and why that is an important part of restoration. Yeah, that was a really very good program for us. Um, So from our story, we could see there could be many reasons for a lack of intimacy and connection. What was also highlighted was there were lots of things that we could do as a couple journeys uh, to journey away from addiction and disconnection into increased connection and intimacy. So today we will continue to look at how married couples as well as singles can develop greater intimacy in their relationship. Thank you, Jonathan, for joining us again as we continue our journey towards intimacy. Thank you, guys. It's good to be back with you again on the program. Yeah, thank you. You know, um, we're still in the the throes, uh, depending on where you are in the world, of the COVID-19 pandemic. And uh, it is also known that it is not only men that suffer from sexual or porn addiction, but there are women that are also addicted. Um, What are the current statistics uh, with regards to this? So we've known for a long time, like over the last 20 years, that um, porn use, especially among women, has been rapidly increasing. And uh, when when COVID-19 really started spreading across the world, um, over here in the United States, whenever uh, really kind of in the first couple weeks of, of lockdowns nationally, of quarantines nationally, um, there was roughly an 11 to 12% increase in those weeks of porn use just on the most popular porn website that's out there. And so even that, just people being forced into their homes 
Um, I think the, the isolation, the increased stress and fear associated with a pandemic like this, um, it showed us that people are still using porn as a coping mechanism. Mm. Porn is an escape. Porn is a way to medicate and to kind of soothe and numb out emotions. And so I think uh, that is that crosses gender lines. I mean, it's still predominant uh, users of pornography, online pornography are men, but there's a growing number of women. In fact, it's, it's been, um, it's been reported that roughly one in three hits on a pornographic website is by a woman. So it's very much a a real issue for women as well, not men. And do you think that this is prevalent and the same statistics among Christian men and women? There's not a whole lot of difference in terms of the statistics between um, uh, Christians and and non-Christians when it comes to porn use, um, and and I think that some of that bears out to just uh, the brokenness of our humanity. We uh, I've mentioned in the last program that we are we are most prone to act out of what we are most familiar with, mm-hmm. and so if we have become so familiar with the pattern of if life is stressful, if I feel scared, if I feel pain or whatever, I've learned to, I've been conditioned to go to pornography or some other sexual outlet, mm. then um, even in my, even in my Christian faith, if, if I've, if that's the paradigm or the pattern that has been set, um, because a lot of, because a lot of times in our Christian faith, so much of us, so many of us have a particular head knowledge of the gospel and mm. of a relationship with God. And we don't really know how to take that down into the broken places of our heart, these patterns where we are escaping and going to pornography and other things. And so I think that's one of the reasons why uh, we really work hard to, to help churches try to create safe places where, you know, you guys are talking on this program about intimacy, intimacy right? Mm-hmm. Into me see. Well, what are we doing to create those spaces where Christians can be vulnerable and open about their struggles? Because so much of the time, the fear that Christians have of of telling their story is that they bear almost like a double shame because they do have head knowledge of the truth. Mm. And they realize my life is not lining up to that. And I'm super scared about telling anybody that I'm really not lining up to God's word in terms of how he designed me to manage my sexuality. Mm. Mm. Jonathan, I remember that when Frederick went to his groups, often the 12-step groups that he used to be in, he would come back and he would say to me, there's something about that that's almost more like church to him. Um, The fact that he can so safely share without fear of judgment. And that's sad, but it's it's often in Bible studies where we couldn't couldn't mention any of this um, out of fear of how people would respond. And... uh, it's a sad situation when when other groups become safer to us than people, places in church. Of course, you couldn't speak about that anywhere because it's a very sensitive topic. But I totally agree with you that it's so important for churches to try and and create safe spaces where where people with these struggles can go to. Because I know um, we also are part of Covenant Eyes. And they say, said that it's, they are high statistics for Christian people, Christian men and women to be involved in pornography. So that's really important. Mm-hmm. 
And I do think it's important that it, when we think about creating those spaces, because I, I, I totally resonate with what you're saying about, you know, Frederick, you think, feeling like, man, my support group feels more like what church should be like than yeah. even the church, you know? Um, but I think that uh, what we need to remember when we're seeking to create these safe spaces, I like to call them grace-based environments, where the foundation of that environment is the grace of God, that there's nothing you could ever do that would cause God to love you any less or any more. He has mm. this constant, steadfast love for you. And when you have that environment, it's important to realize that, yes, we create those safe environments so somebody can finally reveal the brokenness of their hearts, the brokenness of their sexual struggles. We don't create those places then so that they stay in that brokenness. Mm. So the, the key thing about understanding these environments is, yes, we need to create a safe enough environment that says, this is not a place where you will be shamed for the things that you've struggled with, the things you've fought, the things that you've done. But we want to invite you into this space that you can actually start to see the connection between the steadfast love, the grace of God, and how it is through that steadfast love that your life can be transformed into a man or woman of greater integrity, where you can actually start to align your life with the way you were actually designed by God to live. So it's not an environment that we want to say, come, you know, dump your story, tell all your stuff, and, and then we'll just say, well, I hope hope things get better. You know, it's like, no, we want to actually work towards, do you see how the grace of God actually has power to transform your life when you realize you are loved that much? It's like then your heart starts to melt and you can start to respond to God in obedience out of His love for you, not in order to try to earn His love for you. Yeah, absolutely. And there are, of course, uh, Christ-based recovery programs, and I'm thinking of Celebrate Recovery, for example, um, by Rick Warren and uh, John Baker, that uh, create these spaces at churches, and the program is absolutely Christ-based, and it's an environment where we can feel safe and share the bad things and the dark things of our lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think uh, uh, you know, I think there, we always want to form structure. I think as human beings, we want to have some kind of structure, and and so structure is not bad. Um, I think what tends to happen though sometimes is we create these we can create these groups, even if they're Christ-centered groups, and without realizing it, they can become performance-based rather than grace-based. Yes. So the idea can be, I even if it's a Christian group, I I can have this sense that my value is being rated on how well I did this week in terms of handling my sexual sin or handling my sexual struggle. Mm-hmm. And if I didn't do this that well this week, managing that, I can feel as if my value has decreased before God and others in the group. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I did really well, I can feel like my value has increased. Mm-hmm. And what we want to say is, well, the grace of God, you know, what's the old saying? The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Yes. <laughs> You know, so none of us are better or worse than anybody else in terms of of our value as a human being before God. Mm. And if we can keep that central, then I think that gives us the anchor for our soul so that we can then go do the really hard kind of bumpy work of of recovery and restoration. Mm. Yeah, so um, I think before we we go to the, the next comment that I'd like to make, and that was that is with regards to my time when I was in the, the, the dark of my sexual addiction, 
Let's just take a break. And uh, after the break, then we will come back and uh, we'll continue our discussion. It's very valuable. Thank you, Jonathan. See you just now. Very welcome, uh, listeners. Thank you very much for uh, listening and being part of our program. Thank you, Jonathan, that you are sharing with us. And um, I'd just like to continue with uh, what we were talking about, and that is uh, getting into safe groups. But for me, there was a time when I wasn't able to get to a safe group, and in the dark depth of my sexual addiction, I cried out to the Lord for release, and um, I did actually did more Bible study, and I prayed more, but He did not immediately, instantly remove my addiction. So I really struggled with the fact that I could fall into this addiction while being a Christian. What is it that draws Christians uh, into this deep trap of, of, of addiction? And um, why do you think the law doesn't just relieve us from this addiction instantly? Yeah, I think it's a great question. It's a fair question because I think once uh, once a person comes to a realization that, oh my goodness, I'm I'm drowning. I'm over my head. I'm 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 addicted. Mm. There's a there's an immediate desire to say, okay, I want to be free, but we're but we often bring the same expectations that that we learned in our addiction into our recovery, and the expectation is everything should happen instantly. Mm. If you think about it, what what does a pornography addiction ultimately teach you? I need to be able to get instant relief from whatever pain or stress or anything that's going on in my life. And guess what? Porn supplies that mm. for an instant. And then guess what? You have shame and you have all this. So it's kind of like you're being trained to think everything should happen fast and I should do what I want right away. And it's all about now, 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 and me, me, me. Mm. And so I think part of the reason that God doesn't just instantly remove everything that we're struggling with in our lives is that there's a process of a paradigm shift that he wants us to make where even if he were, I've had, I've had a handful of guys, maybe three or four guys in 17 years tell me that God did instantly remove their compulsive desire to want to look at porn. But guess what each of those men also had to say, mm-hmm. but the character mm-hmm. of a man of integrity couldn't happen instantly. Mm-hmm. So there's always an element of what God wants to grow into us that can't happen immediately. And so I think one of the reasons that that God allows the process of recovery is because it's not just about stopping a bad behavior. Mm. It's about being transformed into the image of Jesus. And that takes time. It's Mm. going to take a long time for us to be set free from those old patterns that are underlying the addiction, not just the behavior, in order to develop new patterns of integrity and openness and what we've been talking about here, real intimacy with mm. others. Mm. And it sounds like real holiness, hey? Because that's the path that we're on, sanctification, to to become more like Jesus and to become a person of integrity. Yeah, and absolutely. And, um, you know, I was trying very hard for uh, almost two years, if it were not longer, to try and change with my own willpower and praying and uh, even asking uh, Suki to be my accountability partner, but there wasn't change because my character was not changing. So um, it is only really when I reached out for help beyond myself and Suki by attending uh, individual counseling and going to support groups that real change started. So Jonathan, what do you think are the roles of the counselor and support groups uh, during this recovery journey? for uh, for the individual and for them as a couple? 
So I think they're they're vital. Uh, I really do believe that. Um, uh, I really believe that men need men in order to grow as a man, and women need women in order to grow as a woman. Mm-hmm. And that's not to that doesn't separate the married couple. That actually enhances the relationship because as as I go and and Frederick as you go and put yourself in the environment of other men who who we can sharpen one another, we can be honest and vulnerable and real. Mm. There's a connection and a bond that can happen there that if we're just to be perfectly honest, is unique and different from the connection that you could have and I can have with my wife, right? Absolutely. There's a different kind of a different kind of way that men can talk to each other, different kind of way that women can talk to each other. Mm. So as we get those individual support systems in place. Um, we start to get the sharpening that we need, like I mentioned about kind of the character qualities and, and what does it take to really be a man or a woman of integrity. And then as you come together then as a couple, my goodness, all those things that are developing in those individual support settings are only enhancing your ability to now be vulnerable and open and honest with each other. I also think of it this way. There's two things. One, I think God never does does full transformation of a person outside of community. It's just not his way. Mm-hmm. From the very beginning, mm-hmm. God said when he looked at Adam and he said, it's not good for you to be alone. And like aloneness was not ever our design. Mm-hmm. And then secondly, I think there are, there's a type of uh, boldness and courage and um, support that we can get from those environments in order for us to do the hard things in our marriage. So by having kind of the backing of this, this counselor and support network that's helping you become a better man or simply for you to become a better woman, mm. it's like, okay, I've got, if, if this next conversation that happens in our marriage that's, that we're really opening up and being vulnerable about, vulnerable about, if it really goes badly, I'm not on my own in mm. terms of processing that. You know, it's yes. like I've got a whole support system that can kind of help me work through that. So I think... Support is vital in this process of recovery, not just for the individual, but also for the couple. Yes. And it is very isolating from my from my experience, because often if a person's partner struggles with something like addiction, it's not easy to talk about that. And I, what I also find in my work with other women, that often they are alienated because maybe the husband doesn't want them to tell their friends about this. And my experience is that often when I speak to women, they don't have other friends. They comp- they got completely isolated in the process uh, where this, they and their husband or their little family do a lot of things together, but they re- kind of cut off from community. That's why it's crucial what you say. Jonathan, I'm, I want to mention something else about the partners of addicts. Me, myself, um, having, you know, I've been on that journey for so many years. And also what is what is important when you look at the, I think often as partners, we, we think we are the grieved ones. We are the victims, right? And we are kind of upset and angry about what has been done to us. And we are unwilling or it's hard for us to realize, but we also have a journey. And we also have some things that we need to do um, for healing and for wholeness. Can you expand a little bit about that? Absolutely. You know, if if we're talking about a married couple, you have to realize that um, when we use the word marriage, it's not really it's not really a, an entity. And what I mean by that is it's like, well, a marriage is a husband and a wife. There's two individuals that are part of this. And I know that the Bible talks about the two becoming one, 
But that oneness does not eliminate the uniqueness of each individual person, nor the responsibility of each individual person before God. So therefore, just because I'm married doesn't mean that now I'm, I'm kind of, I'm part of just kind of this, this blob now that I don't have an individual responsibility for my own character. I don't have an individual responsibility for how I treat my wife. It's like, no, no, I still am totally responsible for that, even though I'm one with this other person. So in terms of the partners, I think it's very important to recognize that you have a, if I can put it this way, you have a right and a need for the personal care and support and growth that you need as an individual. Again, this is not to separate you out or say that you're trying to create a division in your relationship, but so often I have seen it where the, the, the wives especially, they, they don't go get the help that they need for not only the betrayal that they face, but even for their own brokenness, their own history of struggle, mm-hmm. not, not necessarily with sexual things, but just, just the reality that we all bring brokenness into mm-hmm. our marriages. And, um, and so working on that brokenness is not to say that your brokenness caused your husband's issues. I want to make that very clear. This mm. is not a cause effect thing. This is just realizing that you're going to need help to grow as an individual and to heal as an individual just as much as your husband is going to need to help to grow and heal as an individual. Mm. And again, I think both of those processes can really benefit the marriage overall. But we need that individual work. It's really important. Yep. Oh, I'm so glad you're saying it. It's so important because I often come across women that, that like I said, they're kind of upset about the situation and they say, why Why do I need to, to do something? But, but like you say, all of us have a responsibility and especially we also to, to grow in our Christian walk and and to, to walk this path. It's meant so much to me, and I'm forever on this path. I continue to learn more things as I continue to grow in that path and also in the, in the various groups mm-hmm. that I'm involved in. Um, Jonathan, I want to ask you about the, the betrayal and the broke of trust that, um, that a partner often experiences and the difficulty um, that often we have to to start rebuilding trust again or try to figure out how does this work. Um, can you expand on that, please? Yes. Uh, trust is huge in terms of if, if relationships seem to be restored after this betrayal of trust. It's very important that um, I think we make we understand the distinction between forgiveness and trust. Uh, forgiveness is very much a one-way street, whereas trust is a two-way Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is a, a, you can choose to forgive someone who sinned against you, whether they change or not. And forgiveness is more about you being released from the bitterness that can grow in your heart if you remain unforgiving towards another person. Forgiveness doesn't always mean that there will be or should be restoration in a relationship. But for those, those who choose to uh, work on restoration, that is a two-way street. And what I mean by that is in order for someone to be trusted, they need to be trustworthy. Mm-hmm. So there is going to be a period of time and of growth and of transformation that needs to happen in the person who was the, the betrayer mm-hmm. in order that there's there's some evidence that things are changing. In other words, I would never counsel a wife to say, um, because you've forgiven your husband, now you need to immediately trust him. It's like, no, no, you need to watch him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Keep your eyes open. Keep your ears open. 
see if there's actual changes. Is, is he taking initiative for his growth and his recovery? Or is he always waiting for you to tell him what to do in that? It's like, no, no, he needs to own, not, he not only needs to own what he did wrong, he needs to own what he's going to do right and say, I'm going to go pursue these things. And as that person displays trustworthiness, and usually that is in changed action, changed initiatives, changed motives, and I would even say changed language. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is, is his language starting to indicate that he's, he's learning, he's growing, he's using different words to describe himself. He's, mm-hmm. using, he's being more inquisitive about you. He's asking good questions that try to seek to build intimacy. When those things start happening, I think there's, that trust can be rebuilt, but you must be trustworthy in order to be trusted. And that's something that takes quite a bit of time in recovery. Absolutely. Jonathan, yeah. I think we can almost do a whole program just on this. Yeah, absolutely. I can just mm-hmm. to- totally, totally identify because um, I remember how many times I'd said to Suki, I'm sorry, I won't never do it again. But the trust was just not rebuilt. Mm-hmm. And the trust really only started rebuilding when I went into a recovery program and when there was amends and that amends was visible in that I was attending groups, I was going to counseling. And as you say, my language started um, changing and my attitude started changing and stopped judging and receive grace and give grace. And even now, can I add to that? After we've been in the process for years of sobriety, that you, years of sobriety, we we constantly get into deeper levels because it's almost like recovering some of the the grief and the pain. It feels like it is really in layers that we are even just getting to that and to even deeper levels of trust. You thank you very much, Suki and Jonathan. Uh, this was an awesome time together, but and I'm just amazed how quickly time has passed and uh, we were not able to get down to all our questions. So singles, you have not been forgotten. We will spend the next program and the future on how singles uh, can increase their intimacy. So listeners, please continue to send your questions to us and uh, there may be some things you want to know more and or with greater clarity. Send your questions to fredericksuki at capepulpit.co.za. Thank you very much and have a blessed week and uh, see you next time. Bye. Hierdie inzetsel is aan jou gebring dier Radio Kaapse Kansel op 729 AM. Besoek ons gerus op www.kapsekansel.co.za